You're listening to Locally Sourced Science. Your connection to the scientific discoveries happening in the Finger Lakes community. Hello listeners and welcome back to Locally Sourced Science. I'm Cecil Barnett-Neves. You join us in the middle of the Ithaca summer with blue, cloudless skies occasionally interspersed with a bucketing down without any prior warning. But I digress. Today, we're taking a look at the various science events that have been taking place in Ithaca, but are designed for a wider audience to encourage more people, especially kids, to become more interested in scientific fields. Science competitions have always been a key event in spreading awareness and generating interest, arguably starting with the great-grandfather of all science competition projects, the humble baking soda and vinegar volcano. Back in my high school, my team put together a hovercraft to demonstrate Newton's three laws of motion. The hard part was in trying to figure out how to transport a hovercraft large enough to float a teacher from the UK all the way to Brussels for the competition, and sadly, we couldn't just drive it over the channel to get it there. Naturally, the scope of projects have become more and more impressive as students take their presentations to new heights thanks to various environments in electronics and other related fields. LSS's Esther Rakusen went to learn more. LSS's Esther Rakusen went to learn more at the National Science Olympiad competition, while Patricia Waldron spent the day exploring at Ithaca Festival's Discovery Tent. But first, a message from the bees brought to us by David Hopkins. Late spring is when honeybees begin to swarm, a dramatic and exciting to see and hear a swarm in the air. Bees fly erratically in a moving space about the size of a school bus, generally a group of several thousand individuals. The bees usually settle in a nearby tree branch in a small, tight cluster. The loud buzzing fades to a peaceful hum. In this primary cluster, they decide where to make their new home. During this time, a beekeeper can capture the swarm and remove it safely to an apiary. Otherwise, it is likely to fly off for a hollow tree, sometimes several miles away. It is also possible that it will find an empty cavity in the framework of a home or building. This is the scenario where they might become a nuisance. Honeybees reproduce individual bees from eggs that hatch. But the colony itself, the superorganism, reproduces by splitting itself in two. The queen swarms away with older adults, leaving the parent colony with a young queen about to hatch and a group of young adults that tend the hive. This process generally happens in the spring, but sometimes occurs in the late summer and early autumn. To help save the bees, people are encouraged to contact a beekeeper if they see a honeybee swarm. People who catch swarms are listed on Beekeeper Club websites and can be found listed in a local extension office. At Cornell's Dice Lab of Beekeeping Studies, a current statewide list of swarm catchers is on the website. And the Dice Lab website includes information for people who would like to learn more about honeybee swarms. The Dice Lab swarm catcher list includes beekeepers who extract honeybee colonies from buildings where they are not wanted. These extractions are done without the use of toxic chemicals, thereby saving the bees and saving homeowners from the risk of contamination. 
Typically, a location is repeatedly occupied by swarms, replacing colonies that have perished. The extraction should also include cleaning and repairing the cavity so it is no longer available to honeybees. Homeowners who have nuisance honeybees on their property are encouraged to call a beekeeper who will retrieve the bees and rehome them in an apiary. It's rarely advised to poison the bees to clear them from an inappropriate location. We continue to learn the value of pollinators in the environment and about the threats they face. Calling a beekeeper to retrieve a swarm is important for all of us who wish to help save the bees. Speaking for the bees, I'm David Hopkins, near Ithaca, New York. I'm Esther Rakusin for Locally Sourced Science. A national science competition took place at Cornell University on June 1st, 2019. The participants were not undergraduates or graduate students, but middle and high school students from all 50 states, yes, even from Hawaii. They came to participate in the National Science Olympiad competition. To learn more about the science competition, I spoke to Dr. Bill Wellnitz. He received his undergraduate and graduate degrees from Cornell in genetics and molecular biology and later joined the faculty of Augusta State College in Georgia. He now lives in Minnesota. While he was a professor in Georgia, he became a very active volunteer in Science Olympiad. He started when his son was involved as a student in the early 90s. A while after that, he became a regional advisor, then a national event supervisor. He later became state director in Georgia, and then finally, he ran a national tournament. So he has done everything in Science Olympiad. When I met him, he was visiting his alma mater because it was hosting his favorite competition. He told me why he likes Science Olympiad. I, I like it because I think it, it's a great way of getting kids interested in science because they're doing something that's not in the classroom. And so they, they I mean, it's a lot of hard work to, to make it to the national, but, but so they're doing things that because of, of various standards and stuff like that, I just cannot be ad- addressed in, in a standard either middle school or high school curriculum. And so it, it's pushing the bar. Uh, and it's exposing students to lots of different things that could ultimately lead to a, uh, a profession. And some, uh, there's, there's, for example, there's, there's one event that's called Write a Do It. And this is basically, I mean, one member of the team has to look at a structure and write instructions for how to build it. And then the other member of the team has to try to build the structure based on on what was said. So here you're looking at technical writing and providing directions for things. There is some simple engineering events. There's some chemistry events. There's one event that's popular with both middle school and high school. uh, It's basically a forensic event. And so the students have to solve a a crime based on some chemistry, fingerprints, uh, tire tracks, stuff like that. To hear more about how teams get to the competition, I spoke to science teacher Lisa Giacomelli, who is a coach for a small private school team from North Carolina. I interviewed her at the Right Stuff competition, one of dozens of events happening at the Olympiad. Nationals has always been our goal. We've slowly been working our way there. I think early on we were about fifth in the state, then fourth, then we placed fourth again, then third, then second, so we finally made it. And what does the team have to do to come in second place in their state? A whole season's worth of hard work, a lot of people behind the scenes supporting the kids, a lot of dedication, a lot of failures along the way, right? Learning from failure is big. Um, Working as a team, they work together, 
They have partners. They just don't give up. While at the right stuff, I saw many proud parents of students participating in the Science Olympiad, and judging from the variety of license plates on vehicles in the parking lot, they came from far and wide. Here, parent John Ramashadi talks about his students' experience. She uh, started last September after the rules came out for Science Olympiad, uh, started practicing and building uh, on a weekly basis uh, from that time on, September until even last week. So it's, it's been, it's, it's a lot of work. They built props. They built the whole plane. So the props, the whole, the wings, everything, everything in the plane, they build it all. The students have to. Have you seen your student fly their airplane yet? Yes, she just did it and they have a really good time. So they, they have a good chance of getting a medal, I believe. So why do you think it's important for your students to participate in Science Olympiad? Well, it's, it sparks the interest in sciences in the STEM programs. Um, I work in Albuquerque. I work at a, a, a national laboratory that's there, and it's all science. It's all, a lot of scientists. There's many PhDs that live there and in our community, so it's, it's important for them, for our daughters and, and sons, to be able to, to, to thrive in that community and to maybe get a, a job, a future job, or, or schooling, whatever they want to do. So, Does she say that she wants to uh, go into the field of aeronautics? She does. She does. Her her goals are become an Air Force officer and, and be an Air Force pilot. That's what she wants to do. Here's a student, Kenny Tian, who, with his partner, Anna Morgan, was competing in the right stuff. He talked about his experience. So this event is right stuff. Um, so it's an airplane flying event. Um, the, la- the last two years, I did hovercraft as my engineering event. Have you enjoyed working on this? Uh, yeah, it's been uh, so, like pretty rewarding, but also frustrating at times, especially with testing and building new devices, um, especially when it breaks, uh, right when you're about to like finish your project. Um, but probably the testing is the most uh, difficult part in like rebuilding and making edits. It's it's a lot of technical like design and like very small tweaks can make a big difference, especially in flight time, which is the goal of the event. Um, so it's a lot of attention to detail and making sure that you're doing everything with purpose and make sure you're uh, building everything correctly. As I mentioned earlier, at this competition, there were dozens of events. Here is one student who is participating in one of the written events. Student Grace McNamara talked about an event that she likes because she wants to become a doctor. And what is your favorite event that you're competing in? Um, Probably anatomy and physiology. And why is that your favorite event? Um, I really like working on like the human body and I hope to become a doctor one day. What does it involve? Um, Basically we learn about a list of subjects like this year it's cardiovascular, lymphatic and excretory and um, so I'm doing cardiovascular and excretory and like you learn about things like the heart and how that because they all work together um, like the heart works together with um, the kidneys and uh, like the lymphatic system. Here is coach James McNeil from Harlan Rose School in Pennsylvania to talk about his team's experience building the battery buggy. So we have an eighth grader and a seventh grader. Uh, The competition runs you have to hit a mark from nine meters to 12 meters in one centimeter increments and you don't know what it is when you show up. 
um, and there's a can placed one meter to the left, and your bonus is how close you can make that can. So you're pretty much bending an arc and stopping to the nearest centimeter. And how do you um, get the buggy to move to either side or change when you arrive at the competition and you find out what the distance is going to be? So there's two points of measurement for steering on the buggy, and the kids over the three months collect their data to know exactly where to set the steering and set the brake to get it to stop. At this distance, we can do a half a centimeter from the end. So what would you say about the kids who are competing today? They put in more time and work and effort than any group of kids I've met yet, and I've been teaching them almost 12 years. Listeners, be assured that the Science Olympiad competitors from this recent national competition are not resting on their laurels. After a brief rest this summer, they will be back to work, designing devices, learning scientific principles, and doing team-building exercises. They will be striving to be their state's top team so that they can get to the 2020 national competition at North Carolina State University in Raleigh, North Carolina. For Locally Sourced Science, I'm Esther Rakusin. Hello, this is Patricia Waldron with Locally Sourced Science. If you were in downtown Ithaca the first weekend in June, then you couldn't miss the Ithaca Festival. This annual celebration of all things Ithaca had the theme All STEAM Ahead, with STEAM being the acronym for Science, Technology, Engineering, Arts, and Math. To go along with this theme, the organizers created a discovery tent, where festival-goers could participate in science-themed activities offered by local groups, nonprofits, and companies. Some of the groups participating in the discovery tent were the Physics Bus, U-Code, Free Science, Union 241, water treatment, and, as you can hear from the hammering, Home Depot. Let's hear from some of the exhibitors and the kids in the tent. Hi, Janet Karmoski. I'm Academic Director for UCODE. UCODE teaches coding and computational thinking to kids aged 6 to 16 so that they can be prepared for the jobs of the future. There is no coding experience required and no equipment purchase needed. Uh, you just sign up as a member, you come in, and you start learning to code using robots, which is a lot more fun than learning to code without using robots. Who doesn't love robots? Robots beep, they move, they, uh, they react, they engage you at the level of engineering because there could be a hardware problem. They move through time and space, so you can measure and count and use a lot of math to uh, solve your problems as well as code and logic. What do you think of STEAM as the theme for the festival? It's kind of obviously what this town is about to me is uh, all of the arts are incredible and uh, the engineering and the science and the technology that are here. I, I I love being in this town where you can have a conversation about science and technology and art with pretty much everyone. It's a perfect theme for Ithaca, I think. If people want to get involved with UCODE after the festival, is there a website or somewhere they can go to find out more? You can find out about UCODE by going to our website, which is UCODE.com. Uh, we are at the shops at Ithaca Mall. We teach after school and on weekends, and we have summer camps every week all summer where you can sign up your student age uh, 6 to 16, depending on the program, to come in and learn coding and computational thinking. Great. Um, anything else that you'd like to say? We love Ithaca, and we're so happy we're here.
Great, thank you so much. I'm Claire Fox from the Free Science Workshop. And what is Free Science? So the Free Science Workshop is dedicated to increasing equity in science education. We have a workshop space at 210 Hancock that's free and open in the afternoons for low-income and underrepresented kids uh, to come and explore, to learn about the science in the world around them, to be creative, and you know to be supported. So it's kind of like a free after-school program for kids that are excited about science? Well, in some cases, so some people come in and they don't even know that they're excited about science, but part of what we do is we provide new experiences and opportunities so that kids, you know, can get excited about things that they didn't even know they get excited about. Like maybe they've never hooked up a motor to a circuit, but now they have an opportunity to do that. Or they might have been scared of snakes, but, you know, now they get to know them and they get to love them and take care of them. So, new opportunities. What kind of activities are you presenting at the discovery tent? So we have kind of a range that represents, you know, what we have at the workshop. We have live animals and plants. I have a, a homing pigeon here <laughs> who's very friendly and lets kids pet her. I have a tiny coffee tree. Um, we have some upcycled electronics that have been turned to new purposes. So we have a, a TV that you can sing into and see the sound waves of your voice. And um, we're also tinkering and making. What's your name? Gavin. Do you want to do that again and I'll record it? Is that okay? Good morning. <laughs> um, can you tell me what it looks like on the screen when you do that? Very shaky. Are you having fun at the Ithaca Festival today? Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. My name's Jerry Kilpatrick and I work for Home Depot. And every first Saturday of the month, we have little workshops for kids at the store. And we do different events that are going around the community. So it kind of teaches them how to, you know, work a hammer and all that screwdriver. And, and they get to paint them after they're done. And they seem to enjoy it. Uh, what kind of projects can they work on today? Uh, today we have all kinds. We have bird houses, bird feeders, race cars, airplanes, wheelbarrows, uh, a clock tray. It's like a, I don't know, something with a whiteboard so that they can leave messages. Got I think we've got a few others too, but we got a ton of different ones. My name is Avery Arquette. What are you making? A birdhouse. Cool. What color are you going to paint it? Um, we don't know. It's going to be a surprise. Do you like doing science and arts projects? I do. It's the best. Thank you to everyone who talked with me at the Ithaca Festival Discovery Tent. I'm Patricia Waldron with Locally Sourced Science. My name is Belin Falzon. Uh, I'm a member of the Ithaca Generator, where we are this morning, and I can tell you a little bit more about what that place is. So the Ithaca Generator is a uh, nonprofit, and we're member-based. So think about a YMCA, but for tool access. So we have a monthly membership, and in exchange, you get access to classes, and you get access to a full workshop. Um, we have a wood shop, a metal shop. We do forging. We also have ceramics. We do screen printing, weaving, all kinds of cool things. 
the idea is that we give you access to tools that you wouldn't be able to purchase on your own just because they're expensive. And a great example of that is the laser cutter and engraver. Um, we have a 40 watt uh, epilogue laser and it's a machine that's about $25,000. So definitely not something, you know, that's easy to buy on your own. So do you use this laser? I do. So that's actually my main tool. I joined a generator three or four years ago at this point, and I made a ton of stuff with it and decided to open a small craft business. It's called Itaku. I do markets uh, in Ithaca, and I have a few of my products in um, downtown shops. And my main tool is the laser cutter. So what do you make with the laser cutter? Uh, I make a variety of things, a lot of home decor. Uh, my main thing is making origami-inspired puzzles. Um, so I take actual origami, um, you know, folded paper animals, and then I digitally trace them and transform them into a puzzle where you have a frame on the base and those cool geometric shapes that fit in the frame. And so how does this laser make these puzzle pieces? So the way the laser work is um, it uses a series of lenses to uh, focus lights. It's much like using a magnifying glass, um, you know, on a bright sunny day to, uh, you know, burn something. It will do the same thing and you can kind of toggle the settings on it to either do engraving. Um, so it's like a very precise wood burning tool or to cut through plywood, acrylic, uh, a variety of materials. And so the puzzles that you're making, they're made out of plywood? Yeah, they're made of quarter inch plywood. And, you know, I, I like to use um, uh, maple plywood because it engraves very nicely and it's a, it's a nice material. But uh, you can also use uh, hardwood uh, as long as it's thinner than quarter inch. And as long as it's, you know, a material that won't have toxic fumes when you cut it, you can use it on the laser. So how did you find out about this place? So I worked in uh, Presby Alley a few years back and I, you know, just randomly met some Ithaca generator people that were like, oh, yeah, come to this cool basement space. And I was like, OK. And uh, turns out it's a really great community of makers and tinkers. And I've just I've learned a lot since I joined. And so is it like a monthly membership? Yeah, so it's a monthly membership of $40, and uh, for that price tag, you have access to classes, uh, and a lot of the classes are meant to teach you how to use the tool, you know, so for example, we have uh, welding classes, we have forging classes, uh, and of course, classes on the laser cutter where people get to design their own, you know, keychain or coaster, and then uh, we run them through the process of creating the file uploading it to the laser, but also um, how to do maintenance and cleaning on the machine. So you're going to take me on a tour? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so for the, for the metal shop, um, we have a lathe. Uh, we have a, a small CNC machine to do um, electronics board. And that's, that's the thing that we do as well. We do programming and electronics nights, making robots and things like that. Is this all for adults or is this for kids too? The regulation is that you need to be 18 years of age to be a member. Um, but we do have uh, parents that will join for their kids. And as long as their guardian is in the space, as long as they have a, you know, full adult and full liability paper signed, uh, we do have kids in the space. 
And then occasionally we will do classes that are geared specifically towards kids. We also, uh, we've had in the past partnerships with New Roots, which is really close by, um, which is a, a high school. And so their, their math teacher, uh, Lee, who's also a member of the generator, will bring them in the space for, for like to teach them how to use some of the tools. Uh, yes, yeah, so let's go to the laser. And first, we're going to turn it on. And uh, that's where it's going to get noisy. So part of using the laser is making sure that whatever you cut uh, has a good exhaust system. Uh, so there's not only a compressor on the laser, but whenever it is in use, we also have an air filter on in the space. We've been doing a lot of work recently to improve the air quality in the space, and that also participates in being able to host more kids. Um, just because the air quality was really bad and after being, you know, down here for a couple hours, you would just inhale so much, like, lick particularly uh, and stuff like that. Okay. Um, so we've done a lot of work and we've partnered with a local company uh, called Wicked Device and they provided, like, air quality devices that tell us, you know, how's the air quality and then we've worked on making evacuation of fumes and filtering much better. And the air quality has gone up by a lot, so it's much more pleasant to be down here now. I will also mention that uh, the generator is expanding, and so we're getting a new space in the Presby Court, which is right next to Presby Alley, um, and that will be above ground on the ground floor. Uh, it will have lots of natural light, and we're moving all of the tools that are not dust producing up there. So we're also expecting the air quality to be much, much better in that other space. Okay. okay. And then the wood shop and the metal shop, which are noisy, dusty um, endeavors are going to stay downstairs. Okay. So now the laser is on and we will put a job uh, on it. So once you've um, formatted your file correctly, it is pretty much just like using a printer. So we'll put the file, open the file on the computer, and then we will tell it to, let's see, I'm going to make a bookmark out of some very thin veneer. And so I will need to do a very fast engraving that's not very deep. And then for the cutting, I also need, you know, less power and a higher speed than I would for a thicker piece of wood. Okay, so the next step um, is to put the, my piece of material in the laser. So the laser that we have um, has a 12 by 24 inch uh, bed. Um, so that's the max size uh, piece of material that we could put in there. And then I will tell it to start in a specific spot and I will also adjust the height of the bed to make sure that once the, once the beam comes out, it's actually focused. Um, okay, so here we go. And now let's engrave. If 
you want to learn more about us, we do member meetups on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Uh, and you can come and hang out. Usually members bring the projects that they're working on and it's kind of troubleshooting type of event. Uh, but we also do tours for people that are interested in being members. Uh, and it will give you a good idea of the type of community that we are. And then you can find us online, of course, at ithacagenerator.org and also on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for your time, Belin. Thank you. And that was Candice Lemper talking to Berlin Falzon at the Ithaca Generator. In this week's show, you heard content from David Hopkins, Esther Akusin, Patricia Waldron, and Candice Lemper. The show was produced by me, Cecil Bonnet-Neefs, and music was provided by Lobo Loco and Cheche Giannotti. Special thanks to the National Science Olympiad Competition, the Discovery Tent at Ithaca Festival, and the Ithaca Generator. If you would like to have your scientific explorations and events featured on the show, feel free to reach out and get in contact with us. Thanks for listening to Locally Sourced Science.